0: Section thirty seven of Optics. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Optics by Isaac Newton. Book three, part one, queries twenty eight to twenty nine. Query twenty eight Are not all hypotheses erroneous? IN WHICH LIGHT IS SUPPOSED TO CONSIST IN pressure OR MOTION, PROPAGATED THROUGH A FLUID MEDIUM? FOR IN ALL THESE HYPOTHESES, THE PHENOMENA OF LIGHT HAVE BEEN HITHERTO EXPLAINED BY SUPPOSING THAT THEY ARISE FROM NEW MODIFICATIONS OF THE RAYS, WHICH IS AN ERRONEOUS SUPPOSITION. IF LIGHT CONSISTED ONLY IN pressure PROPAGATED WITHOUT ACTUAL MOTION, it would not be able to agitate and heat the bodies which refract and reflect it. If it consisted in motion propagated to all distances in an instant, it would require an infinite force every moment, in every shining particle, to generate that motion. And, if it consisted in pression or motion, propagated either in an instant or in time, it would bend into the shadow, for pressure or motion cannot be propagated in a fluid in right lines beyond an obstacle which stops part of the motion but will bend and spread every way into the quiescent medium which lies beyond the obstacle gravity tends downwards but the pressure of water arising from gravity tends every way with equal force and is propagated as readily and with as much force sideways as downwards, and through crooked passages as through straight ones. The waves on the surface of stagnating water, passing by the sides of a broad obstacle which stops part of them, bend afterwards and dilate themselves gradually into the quiet water behind the obstacle. The waves, pulses or vibrations of the air, wherein sounds consist, bend manifestly, though not so much as the waves of water for a bell or a cannon may be heard beyond a hill which intercepts the sight of the sounding body and sounds are propagated as readily through crooked pipes as through straight ones but light is never known to follow crooked passages nor to bend into the shadow for the fixed stars by the interposition of any of the planets cease to be seen and so do the parts of the sun by the interposition of the moon mercury or venus the rays which pass very near to the edges of any body are bent a little by the action of the body as we showed above but this bending is not towards but from the shadow and is performed only in the passage of the ray by the body and at a very small distance from it so soon as the ray is past the body it goes right on to explain the unusual refraction of island crystal by pressure or motion propagated has not hitherto been attempted, to my knowledge, except by Huygens, who, for that end, supposed two several vibrating mediums within that crystal. But when he tried the refractions in two successive pieces of that crystal, and found them such as is mentioned above, he confessed himself at a loss for explaining them pressions or motions propagated from a shining body through an uniform medium must be on all sides alike, whereas by those experiments it appears that the rays of light have different properties in their different sides. He suspected that the pulses of ether in passing through the first crystal might receive certain new modifications which might determine them to be propagated in this or that medium within the second crystal according to the position of that crystal but what modifications those might be he could not say nor think of anything satisfactory in that point and if he had known that the unusual refraction depends not on new modifications but on the original and unchangeable dispositions of the rays he would have found it as difficult to explain how those dispositions which he supposed to be impressed on the rays by the first crystal could be in them before their incidence on that crystal and in general how all rays emitted by shining bodies can have those dispositions in them from the beginning. To me at least this seems inexplicable if light be nothing else than pression or motion propagated through ether. And it is as difficult to explain by these hypotheses how rays can be alternately in fits of easy reflection and easy transmission, unless perhaps one might suppose that there are in all space two ethereal vibrating mediums, and that the vibrations of one of them constitute light, and the vibrations of the other are swifter, and as often as they overtake the vibrations of the first, put them into those fits. But how two ethers can be diffused through all space, one of which acts upon the other, and by consequence is reacted upon, without retarding, shattering, dispersing, and confounding one another's motions, is inconceivable. And, against filling the heavens with fluid mediums, unless they be exceeding rare, a great objection arises from the regular and very lasting motions of the planets and comets in all manner of courses through the heavens, for thence it is manifest that the heavens are void of all sensible resistance and by consequence of all sensible matter for the resisting power of fluid mediums arises partly from the attrition of the parts of the medium and partly from the vis inertiae of the matter that part of the resistance of a spherical body which arises from the attrition of the parts of the medium is very nearly as the diameter or at the most as the factum of the diameter and the velocity of the spherical body together and that part of the resistance which arises from the vis inertiae of the matter is as the square of that factum and by this difference the two sorts of resistance may be distinguished from one another in any medium and these being distinguished it will be found that almost all the resistance of bodies of a competent magnitude moving in air water, quicksilver, and such-like fluids, with a competent velocity, arises from the vis inertiae of the parts of the fluid. Now, that part of the resisting power of any medium which arises from the tenacity, friction, or attrition of the parts of the medium, may be diminished by dividing the matter into smaller parts, and making the parts more smooth and slippery. But that part of the resistance which arises from the vis inertiae is proportional to the density of the matter, and cannot be diminished by dividing the matter into smaller parts, nor by any other means than by decreasing the density of the medium. And for these reasons the density of fluid mediums is very nearly proportional to their resistance. Liquors which differ not much in density as water, spirit of wine, spirit of turpentine, hot oil, differ not much in resistance. Water is thirteen or fourteen times lighter than quicksilver, and by consequence thirteen or fourteen times rarer, and its resistance is less than that of quicksilver, in the same proportion, or thereabouts, as I have found by experiments made with pendulums. The open air in which we breathe is eight or nine hundred times lighter than water, and by consequence eight or nine hundred times rarer and accordingly its resistance is less than that of water in the same proportion or thereabouts as i have also found by experiments made with pendulums and in thinner air the resistance is still less and at length by ratifying the air becomes insensible for small feathers falling in the open air meet with great resistance but in a tall glass well emptied of air they fall as fast as lead or gold as i have seen tried several times whence the resistance seems still to decrease in proportion to the density of the fluid for i do not find by any experiments that bodies moving in quicksilver water or air meet with any other sensible resistance than what arises from the density and tenacity of those sensible fluids as they would do if the pores of those fluids and all other spaces were filled with a dense and subtle fluid. Now, if the resistance in a vessel well emptied of air was but an hundred times less than in the open air, it would be about a million of times less than in quicksilver. But it seems to be much less in such a vessel, and still much less in the heavens, at the height of three or four hundred miles from the earth or above." For Mr. Boyle has showed that air may be rarefied above ten thousand times in vessels of glass, and the heavens are much emptier of air than any vacuum we can make below. for since the air is compressed by the weight of the incumbent atmosphere and the density of air is proportional to the force compressing it, it follows by computation that at the height of about seven and a half English miles from the earth, the air is four times rarer than at the surface of the earth, and at the height of fifteen miles, it is sixteen times rarer than that at the surface of the earth, and at the height of twenty-two and a half, thirty, or thirty-eight miles, it is respectively sixty-four, two hundred fifty-six, or one thousand twenty-four times rarer, or thereabouts, and at the height of seventy-six, one hundred fifty-two, Two hundred twenty eight miles, it is about one million ten to the sixth, one trillion ten to the twelfth, or one quintillion ten to the eighteenth times rarer, and so on. Heat promotes fluidity very much by diminishing the tenacity of bodies. It makes many bodies fluid which are not fluid in cold, and increases the fluidity of tenacious liquids, as of oil balsam, and honey, and thereby decreases their resistance. But it decreases not the resistance of water considerably, as it would do if any considerable part of the resistance of water arose from the attrition or tenacity of its parts, and therefore the resistance of water arises principally and almost entirely from the vis inertiae of its matter, and by consequence if the heavens were as dense as water they would not have much less resistance than water if as dense as quicksilver they would not have much less resistance than quicksilver if absolutely dense or full of matter without any vacuum let the matter be never so subtle and fluid they would have a greater resistance than quicksilver a solid globe in such a medium would lose above half its motion in moving three times the length of its diameter and a globe not solid such as are the planets would be retarded sooner and therefore to make way for the regular and lasting motions of the planets and comets it's necessary to empty the heavens of all matter except perhaps some very thin vapours steams or effluvia arising from the atmospheres of the earth planets and comets and from such an exceedingly rare ethereal medium as we described above a dense fluid can be of no use for explaining the phenomena of nature the motions of the planets and comets being better explained without it it serves only to disturb and retard the motions of those great bodies and make the frame of nature languish and in the pores of bodies it serves only to stop the vibrating motions of their parts wherein their heat and activity consists, and as it is of no use and hinders the operations of nature and makes her languish, so there is no evidence for its existence, and therefore it ought to be rejected. And if it be rejected, the hypotheses that light consists in pressure or motion propagated through such a medium are rejected with it. And for rejecting such a medium we have the authority of those the oldest and most celebrated philosophers of greece and phoenicia who made a vacuum and atoms and the gravity of atoms the first principles of their philosophy tacitly attributing gravity to some other cause than dense matter later philosophers banish the consideration of such a cause out of natural philosophy feigning hypotheses for explaining all things mechanically and referring other causes to metaphysics. Whereas the main business of natural philosophy is to argue from phenomena without feigning hypotheses, and to deduce causes from effects, till we come to the very first cause, which certainly is not mechanical, and not only to unfold the mechanism of the world, but chiefly to resolve these and such-like questions. What is there in places almost empty of matter, and whence is it that the sun and planets gravitate towards one another without dense matter between them whence is it that nature doth nothing in vain and whence arises all that order and beauty which we see in the world to what end are comets and whence is it that planets move all one and the same way in orbs concentric while comets move all manner of ways in orbs very eccentric AND WHAT HINDERS THE FIXED STARS FROM FALLING UPON ONE ANOTHER? HOW CAME THE BODIES OF ANIMALS TO BE CONTRIVED WITH SO MUCH ART, AND FOR WHAT ENDS WERE THERE SEVERAL PARTS? WAS THE EYE CONTRIVED WITHOUT SKILL IN OPTICS, AND THE EAR WITHOUT KNOWLEDGE OF SOUNDS? HOW DO THE MOTIONS OF THE BODY FOLLOW FROM THE WILL, AND WHENCE IS THE INSTINCT IN ANIMALS? is not the sensory of animals that place to which the sensitive substance is present and into which the sensible species of things are carried through the nerves and brain that there they may be perceived by their immediate presence to that substance and these things being rightly dispatched does it not appear from phenomena that there is a being incorporeal living intelligent omnipresent who in infinite space as it were in his sensory sees the things themselves intimately, and thoroughly perceives them, and comprehends them wholly by their immediate presence to himself, of which things the images only carried through the organs of sense into our little sensoriums, are there seen and beheld by that which in us perceives and thinks. And though every true step made in this philosophy brings us not immediately to the knowledge of the first cause— yet it brings us nearer to it, and on that account is to be highly valued. Query 29. Are not the rays of light very small bodies, emitted from shining substances? For such bodies will pass through uniform mediums in right lines without bending into the shadow, which is the nature of the rays of light. They will also be capable of several properties, and to be able to conserve their properties unchanged in passing through several mediums, which is another condition of the rays of light. Pellucid substances act upon the rays of light at a distance, in refracting, reflecting, and inflecting them, and the rays mutually agitate the parts of those substances at a distance for heating them, and this action and reaction at a distance, very much resembles an attractive force between bodies. If refraction be performed by attraction of the rays, the signs of incidence must be to the signs of refraction in a given proportion, as we showed in our principles of philosophy. And this rule is true by experience. The rays of light, in going out of glass into a vacuum, are bent towards the glass. And if they fall too obliquely on the vacuum, they are bent backwards into the glass and totally reflected and This reflection cannot be ascribed to the resistance of an absolute vacuum, but must be caused by the power of the glass attracting the rays at their going out of it into the vacuum and bringing them back. For if the farther surface of the glass be moistened with water or clear oil or liquid and clear honey, the rays which would otherwise be reflected will go into the water, oil, or honey, and therefore are not reflected before they arrive at the farther surface of the glass and begin to go out of it. If they go out of it into the water, oil, or honey, they go on, because the attraction of the glass is almost balanced and rendered ineffectual by the contrary attraction of the liquor. But if they go out of it into a vacuum, which has no attraction to balance that of the glass, the attraction of the glass either bends and refracts them, or brings them back and reflects them. And this is still more evident by laying together two prisms of glass, or two object-glasses of very long telescopes, the one plain, the other a little convex, and so compressing them that they do not fully touch, nor are too far asunder. FOR THE LIGHT WHICH FALLS UPON THE FARTHER SURFACE OF THE FIRST GLASS, WHERE THE INTERVAL BETWEEN THE GLASSES IS NOT ABOVE THE TEN HUNDRED THOUSANDTH PART OF AN INCH, WILL GO THROUGH THAT SURFACE, AND THROUGH THE AIR OR VACUUM BETWEEN THE GLASSES, AND ENTER INTO THE SECOND GLASS, AS WAS EXPLAINED IN THE FIRST, FOURTH, AND EIGHTH OBSERVATIONS OF THE FIRST PART OF THE SECOND BOOK. BUT, IF THE SECOND GLASS BE TAKEN AWAY, the light which goes out of the second surface of the first glass into the air or vacuum will not go on forwards, but turns back into the first glass, and is reflected, and therefore it is drawn back by the power of the first glass, there being nothing else to turn it back. Nothing more is requisite for producing all the variety of colors and degrees of refrangibility than that the rays of light be bodies of different sizes the least of which may take violet the weakest and darkest of the colours and be more easily diverted by refracting surfaces from the right course and the rest as they are bigger and bigger may make the stronger and more lucid colours blue green yellow and red and be more and more difficultly diverted Nothing more is requisite for putting the rays of light into fits of easy reflection and easy transmission than that they be small bodies which by their attractive powers or some other force stir up vibrations in what they act upon which vibrations being swifter than the rays overtake them successively and agitate them so as by turns to increase and decrease their velocities and thereby put them into those fits and lastly the unusual refraction of island crystal looks very much as if it were performed by some kind of attractive virtue lodged in certain sides both of the rays and of the particles of the crystal for were it not for some kind of disposition or virtue lodged in some sides of the particles of the crystal and not in their other sides and which inclines and bends the rays towards the coast of unusual refraction the rays which fall perpendicularly on the crystal would not be refracted towards that coast rather than towards any other coast both at their incidence and at their emergence so as to emerge perpendicularly by a contrary situation of the coast of unusual refraction at the second surface the crystal acting upon the rays after they have passed through it and are emerging into the air or if you please into a vacuum and since the crystal by this disposition or virtue does not act upon the rays unless when one of their sides of unusual refraction looks towards that coast this argues a virtue or disposition in those sides of the rays which answers to and sympathizes with that virtue or disposition of the crystal, as the poles of two magnets answer to one another. And, as magnetism may be intended and remitted, and is found only in the magnet and in iron, so this virtue of refracting the perpendicular rays is greater in island crystal, less in crystal of the rock, and is not yet found in other bodies." i do not say that this virtue is magnetical it seems to be of another kind i only say that whatever it be it's difficult to conceive how the rays of light unless they be bodies can have a permanent virtue in two of their sides which is not in their other sides and this without any regard to their position to the space or medium through which they pass what i mean in this question by a vacuum and by the attractions of the rays of light towards glass or crystal may be understood by what was said in the eighteenth nineteenth and twentieth questions end of section thirty seven